Part One, Chapters Five and Six of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. Part One, Chapter Five: The Voyage Delayed. After some persuasion, the doctor consented to this proposal, feeling that perhaps he could do some good. Little did he realize what great labors and strange adventures he was taking upon himself as he got into the canoe with the king, Begway, and Susanna to be paddled to the town of Fantippo. This place he found very different from any of the African villages or settlements he had ever visited. It was quite large, almost a city. It was bright and cheerful to look at, and the people, like their king, all seemed very kind and jolly. The doctor was introduced to all the chief men of the Fantippo nation, and later he was taken to see the post office. This he found in a terrible state. There were letters everywhere, on the floors, in old drawers, knocking about on desks, even lying on the pavement outside the post office door. The doctor explained to the king that this would never do that in properly run post offices the letters it had stamps on were treated with respect and care it was no wonder he said that zuzanna's letter had never been delivered to her cousin if this was the way they took care of the mails then king coco again begged him to take charge of the post office and try to get it running in proper order and the doctor said he would see what he could do and going into the post office he took off his coat and set to work but after many hours of terrific labor trying to get letters sorted and the place in order john doolittle saw that such a tremendous job as setting the fantippo post office to rights would not be a matter of a day or two it would take weeks at least so he told this to the king then the doctor's ship was brought into the harbor and put safely at anchor and the animals were all taken ashore and a nice new house on the main street was given over to the doctor for himself and his pets to live in while the work of straightening out the fantippo mails was going on well after ten days john doolittle got what is called the domestic mails in pretty good shape domestic mails are those that carry letters from one part of a country to another part of the same country or from one part of a city to another the mails that carry letters outside the country to foreign lands are called foreign mails to have a regular and good service of foreign mails in the fantippo post office the doctor found a hard problem because the mail ships which could carry letters abroad did not come very often to this port fantippo although king coco was most proud of it was not considered a very important country among the regular civilized nations and two or three ships a year were all that ever called there now one day very early in the morning when the doctor was lying in bed wondering what he could do about the foreign mail service dab dab and jip brought him in his breakfast on a tray and told him there was a swaller outside who wanted to give him a message from speedy the skimmer john doolittle had the swallow brought in and the little bird sat on the foot of his bed while he ate his breakfast good morning said the doctor cracking open the top of a hard-boiled egg what can i do for you speedy would like to know said the swallow how long you expect to stay in this country he doesn't want to complain you understand nor do any of us but this journey of yours is taking longer than we thought it would you see 
There was a delay while we hunted out Bones the Slaver, and now it seems likely you will be busy with this post office for some weeks yet. Ordinarily, we would have been in England long before this, getting nests ready for the new season's families. We cannot put off the nesting season, you know. Of course, you understand we are not complaining, don't you? But this delay is making things rather awkward for us. Oh, quite, quite. I understand perfectly, said the doctor, poking salt into his egg with a bone egg spoon. I am dreadfully sorry. But why didn't Speedy bring the message himself? I suppose he didn't like to, said the swallow. Thought you'd be offended, perhaps? Oh, not in the least, said the doctor. You birds have been most helpful to me. Tell Speedy I'll come to see him as soon as I've got my trousers on, and we'll talk it over. Something can be arranged, I have no doubt. Very good, doctor, said the swallow, turning to go. I'll tell the skimmer what you say. By the way, said John Doodlittle, I've been trying to think where I've seen your face before. Did you ever build your nest in my stable in Puddleby? No, said the bird. But I am the swallow that brought you the message from the monkeys that time they were sick. Oh, to be sure, of course, cried the doctor. I knew I had seen you somewhere. I never forget faces. You had a pretty hard time coming to England in the winter, didn't you? Snow on the ground and all that sort of thing. Very plucky of you to undertake it. Yes, it was a hard trip, said the swallow. I came near freezing to death more than once. Flying into the teeth of that frosty wind was just awful. But something had to be done. The monkeys would most likely have been wiped right out if we hadn't got you. How was it that you were the one chosen to bring the message? asked the doctor. Well, said the swallow, Speedy did want to do it himself. He's frightfully brave, you know, and as fast as lightning. But the other swallows wouldn't let him. They said he was too valuable as a leader. It was a risky job. And if he had lost his life from the frost, we'd never be able to get another leader like him. Because, besides being brave and fast, he's the cleverest leader we ever had. Whenever the swallows are in trouble, he always thinks of a way out. He's a born leader. He flies quick and he thinks quick. Humph, murmured the doctor as he thoughtfully brushed the toast crumbs off the bedclothes. But why did they pick you to bring the message? They didn't, said the swallow. We nearly all of us volunteered for the job, so as not to have Speedy risk his life. But the skimmer said the only fair way was to draw lots. So we got a number of small leaves, and we took the stalks off all of them, except one, and we put the leaves in an old coconut shell and shook them up. Then, with our eyes shut, we began picking them out. The swallow who picked the leaf with the stock on it was to carry the message to England, and I picked the leaf with the stock on it. Before I started off on the trip, I kissed my wife goodbye, because I really never expected to get back alive. Still, I'm kind of glad the lot fell to me. Why? asked the doctor, pushing the breakfast tray off his knees and punching the pillows into shape. Well, you see said the swallow, lifting his right leg and showing a tiny red ribbon made of corn silk tied about his ankle. I got this for it. What's that? 
asked the doctor. That's to show I've done something brave and special, said the swallow modestly. Oh, I see, said the doctor. Like a medal, eh? Yes, my name is Quip. It used to be just plain Quip. Now I'm called Quip the Carrier, said the small bird proudly gazing down at his little stubby white leg. Splendid, Quip, said the doctor. I congratulate you. Now I must be getting up. I've a frightful lot of work to do. Don't forget to tell Speedy I'll meet him on the ship at ten. Goodbye. Oh, and would you mind asking Dab-Dab, as you go out, to clear away the breakfast things? I'm glad you came. You've given me an idea. Goodbye. And when Dab-Dab and Jip came to take away the tray, they found the doctor shaving. He was peering into a looking-glass, holding the end of his nose, and muttering to himself. That's the idea for the Fantippo Foreign Mail Service. I wonder why I never thought of it before. I'll have the fastest overseas mail the world ever saw. Why, of course, that's the idea. The Swallow Mail. Chapter 6. No Man's Land As soon as he was dressed and shaved, the doctor went down to his ship and met the skimmer. I am terribly sorry, Speedy, said he, to hear what a lot of trouble I've been giving you birds by my delay here. But I really feel that the business of the post office ought to be attended to, you know. It's in a shocking state. Honestly, it is. I know, said Speedy. And if we could, we would have nested right here in this country to oblige you and not bothered about going to England this year. It wouldn't have mattered terribly much to miss one summer in the north, but you see we swallows can't nest very well in trees. We like houses and barns and buildings to nest in. Couldn't you use the houses of Fantippo? asked the doctor. Not very well, said Speedy. They're so small and noisy, with the native children playing around them all day. The eggs and the young ones wouldn't be safe for a minute. And then, they're not built right for us. Mostly made of grass, the roof sloping wrong, and the eaves too near the ground, and all that. What we like are solid English buildings, where the people don't shriek and whoop and play drums all day. Quiet buildings, like the old barns and stables, where... If people come at all, they come in a proper, dignified manner, arriving and leaving at regular hours. We like people, you understand, in the right place, but uh, nesty mother birds must have quiet. Hmm, I see, said the doctor. Of course, myself, I rather enjoy the jolliness of these Fantippos. But I can quite see your point. By the way... How would my old ship do? This ought to be quiet enough for you here. There's nobody living on it now. And look, it has heaps of cracks and holes and corners in it where you could build your nests. What do you think? That would be splendid, said Speedy. If you think you won't be needing the boat for some weeks. Of course, it would never do if, after we had the nests built and the eggs laid, you were to pull up the anchor and sail away. The young ones would get seasick. No, of course not, 
said the doctor. But there will be no fear of my leaving for some time yet. You could have the whole ship to yourselves, and nobody will disturb you. All right, said Speedy. Then I'll tell the swallows to get on with the nest building right away. But, of course, we'll go on to England with you when you are ready to show you the way. And also to teach the young birds how to get there, too. You see, each year's new birds make their first trip back from England to Africa with us grown ones. They have to make the first journey under our guidance. Very good, said the doctor. Then that settles that. Now, I must get back to the post office. The ship is yours. But as soon as the nesting is over, come and let me know, because I have a very special idea I want to tell you about. So the doctor's boat was now turned into a nesting ship for the swallows. Calmly she stood at anchor in the quiet waters of the Fantippo Harbor, while thousands and thousands of swallows built their nests in her rigging, in her ventilators, in her portholes, and in every crack and corner of her. No one went near her, and the swallows had her to themselves, and they agreed afterward that they found her the best place for nesting they had ever used. In a very short time the ship presented a curious and extraordinary sight, with the mud nests stuck all over her, and birds flying in thousands round her masts, coming and going, building homes, and feeding young ones. And the farmers in England that year said the coming winter would be a hard one, because the swallows had done their nesting abroad before they arrived and only spent a few weeks of the autumn in the north. And later, after the nesting was all over, there were more than twice as many birds as there were before, of course. And you simply couldn't get onto the ship for the tons and tons of mud on her. But the parent birds, as soon as the young ones were able to fly, set their children to work cleaning up the mess and all that mud was taken off and dropped into the harbor piece by piece, and the doctor ship was left in a cleaner state than it had ever been before in its whole life. Now it happened one day that the doctor came to the post office as usual at nine o'clock in the morning. He had to get there at that time because if he didn't, the postman didn't start working. And outside the post office he found Jip gnawing a bone on the pavement. Something curious about the bones struck the doctor, who was, of course, being a naturalist, quite a specialist in bones. He asked Jip to let him look at it. Why, this is extraordinary, said the doctor, examining the bone with great care. I did not know that this class of animals were still to be found in Africa. Where did you get this bone, Jip? Over in no man's land, said Jip. There are lots of bones there. And where might no man's land be? said John Doodlittle. No man's land is that round island just outside the harbour, said Jip. You know, the one that looks like a plum pudding. Oh, yes, said the doctor. I know the island you mean. It's only a short distance from the mainland. But I hadn't heard that that was the name of it. Humph. If you'll lend me this bone a while, Jip, I think I'll go see the king about it. So taking the bone, John Doolittle went off to call on King Coco, and Jip asked if he might come along. They found the king sitting at the palace door, sucking a lollipop, for he, like all the Fantippos, was very fond of sweetmeats. "'Good morning, your majesty,' said the doctor. "'Do you happen to know what kind of animal this bone belongs to?' The king examined it, then shook his head. 
he didn't know much about bones maybe it's a cow's bone said he oh certainly not said john doodlittle no cow ever had a bone like that that's a jaw but not a cow's jaw listen your majesty would you mind lending me a canoe and some paddlers i want to go over to visit no man's land to the doctor's astonishment the king choked on his lollipop and nearly fell over his chair backwards then he ran inside the palace and shut the door how extraordinary said john doolittle entirely bewildered what ails the man oh it's some humbug or other growled jip they're a superstitious lot these natives let's go down to the harbour doctor and try to hire a canoe to take us so they went down to the water's edge and asked several of the canoesmen to take them over to no man's land but every one they asked got dreadfully frightened and refused to talk when the doctor told them where he wanted to go they wouldn't even let him borrow their canoes to go there by himself at last they found one very old boatman who loved chatting so much that although he got terribly scared when john doodlittle mentioned no man's land he finally told the doctor the reason for all this extraordinary behavior that island said he we don't even mention its name unless we have to is the land of evil magic it is called the old man whispered it so low the doctor could scarcely hear him no man's land because no man lives there no man ever even goes there but why asked the doctor dragons live there said the old boatman his eyes wide and staring enormous horned dragons that spit fire and eat men if you value your life never go near that dreadful island but how do you know all this asked the doctor if nobody has ever been there to see if it's true or not thousand years ago said the old man when king cockapoochie ruled over this land he put his mother-in-law upon that island to live because she talked too much and he couldn't bear her around the palace it was arranged that food should be taken to her every week but the first week that the men went there in canoes they could find no trace of her while they were seeking her about the island a dragon suddenly roared up from the bushes and attacked them they only just escaped with their lives and got back to fantippo and told king cockapoochie famous wizard was consulted and he said it must have been the king's mother-in-law herself who had been changed into a dragon by some magic spell since then she has had many children and the island is peopled with dragons whose food is men for whenever a canoe approaches the dragons come down to the shores breathing flame and destruction but for many hundreds of years now no man has set foot upon it that is why it is called well you know after he had told his story the old man turned away and busied himself with his canoe as though he were afraid that the doctor might again ask him to paddle him to the island look here jip said john doodlittle you say you got this bone from no man's land did you see any dragons there no said jip i swam out there just to get cool it was a hot day yesterday and then i didn't go far inland on the island 
I found many bones on the beach, and as this one smelled good to me, I picked it up and swam back here with it. I was more interested in the bone and the swim than I was in the island, to tell you the truth. It's most extraordinary, murmured the doctor. This legend about the island. It makes me more anxious than ever to go there. That bone interests me, too, immensely. I've seen only one other like it, and that was in a natural history museum. Do you mind if I keep it, Chip? I'd like to put it in my own museum when I get back to Puddleby. Not at all, said Jip. Look here, Doctor. If we can't raise a canoe, let's you and I swim out to the island. It's not over a mile and a half, and we're both good swimmers. That's not a bad idea, Jip, said the Doctor. We'll go down the shore a while till we're opposite the island. Then we won't have so far to swim. So off they went, and when they had come to the best place on the shore, the doctor took off his clothes, and tying them up in a bundle, he fastened them on his head, with the precious hi-hat on the top of all. Then he waded into the surf, and with Jip beside him, started swimming for the island. Now this particular stretch of water they were trying to cross happened to be a bad place for swimming, and after about a quarter of an hour, Jip and the doctor felt themselves being carried out to sea in the grip of a powerful current. They tried their hardest to get to the island, but without any success. Let yourself drift, doctor, panted Jip. Don't waste your strength fighting the current. Let yourself drift. Even if we're carried past the island out to sea, we can land on the mainland further down the coast, where the current isn't so strong. But the doctor didn't answer, and Jip could see from his face that his strength and breath were nearly gone. Then Jip barked his loudest hoping that possibly Dab-Dab might hear him on the mainland and fly out and bring help. But, of course, they were much too far from the town for anyone to hear. Turn back, Chip, gasped the doctor. Don't bother about me. I'll be all right. Turn back and try and make the shore. But Chip had no intention of turning back and leaving the doctor to drown, though he saw no possible chance of rescue. Presently, John Doodlittle's mouth filled with water, and he began to splutter and gurgle, and Jip was really frightened. But just as the doctor's eyes were closing and he seemed too weak to swim another stroke, a curious thing happened. Jip felt something come up under the water right beneath his feet, and lift him and the doctor slowly out of the sea, like the rising deck of a submarine. Up and up they were lifted, now entirely out of the water and gasping and sprawling side by side they gazed at one another in utter astonishment what is it doctor said jip staring down at the strange thing which had now stopped rising and was carrying them like a ship right across the strong course of the current in the direction of the island i haven't the remotest idea panted uh, john doodlittle can it be a whale no because the skin isn't a whale's. This is fur, he said, uh, plucking at the stuff he was sitting on. Well, it's an animal of some kind, isn't it? said Jip. But where's its head? And he gazed down the long sloping back that stretched in a flat curve in front of them for a good thirty yards. Its head is under water, uh, said the doctor. But there's its tail. Look, behind us. 
and turning around jip saw the longest tail that mortal beast ever had thrashing the water and driving them toward the island i know cried jip it's the dragon this is king kakabuchi's mother-in-law we're sitting on well anyway thank goodness you rose in time said the doctor shaking the water out of his ears i was never so near drowning in my life i suppose i'd better make myself a little more presentable before she gets her head out of water and taking down his clothes off his own head the doctor smartened up his high hat and dressed himself while the strange thing that had saved their lives carried them steadily and firmly toward the mysterious island end of part one chapter six